Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Tuesday, November 8, 2022. Health experts say malaria is still a killer disease in South Sudan. Malaria is also one of the causes of poverty. It costs Africa an estimated $2 billion U.S. dollars a year. And a patient who recovered her sight during a free surgery this week at Juba Teaching Hospital says this program helped her. The doctor was looking at me said, no, we can operate and you will see. And I'm seeing my daughter. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. officials in South Sudan say malaria is the leading killer disease in the country with about 20 people dying every day. Speaking at the start of a three-day conference on malaria control in Juba, health officials say the situation has been aggravated by inadequate funding and effects of climate change. South Sudan's health minister Yolanda Awel Deng says health experts in South Sudan need to work collectively to stop the spread of malaria. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wood reports from Juba. Dr. Victoria Anip, Undersecretary in South Sudan's Health Ministry, says the country's last report on malaria in 2019 indicated 66.8% of the patients admitted to health care facilities were due to malaria, 66.6% were for consultations on malaria, and 50% of the deaths were due to malaria. She says every day nearly 20 people die from malaria. Anip says the challenges surrounding the fight against the malaria in South Sudan require stepped-up efforts. One of the leading, one of the biggest challenges also is the recent climate change and the flooding that has affected most part of the country, leading to, bre- to breeding sites for mosquitoes. And with rainy season is the peak time where uh, malaria is quite high in the country, given the fact that uh, issues of drainage and stagnant water and also the weeding that encourages breeding of mosquitoes. Dr. Anip met the remarks today at the start of a three-day conference on malaria control in Juba. It's the first time the health ministry and South Sudan's partners have organized a conference to discuss the status of malaria in the country, officials say. Dr. Anip says the conference aims to engage civil society, local organizations, and other stakeholders in the fight against malaria. Over the next three days, participants will share experiences on dealing with malaria and best practices in the region to combat the disease. Anip says one thing that can help is increasing the health ministry's budget. For the past years, she says the ministry's budget was less than 2% of the annual budget. This year, the budget has been increased to around 4%, but much of it covers salaries of civil servants and transfers to the states, according to ANIP. 
Emmanuel Douglas, Executive Director of Healthy Link, a national organization involved in fighting malaria, says the disease is one of the leading causes of death in South Sudan. Overall, the health infrastructure is still not adequately developed to support uh, the huge number of cases. And of course, uh, with the level of community engagements, uh, which is limited uh, in terms of the efforts for prevention, are quite limited. The conference is organized under the theme Zero Malaria in South Sudan Starts With Me. Douglas considers the conference a milestone in the fight against the malaria. It focuses on improving community systems and structures to, for malaria prevention. That means uh, the community are organized to be able to prevent malaria at home, but also systems that are built to support communities to be able to prevent malaria. And that involves more working with civil society organizations, working with donors, and involves addressing these challenges of inadequate funding. Fabian Denzako, the World Health Organization country representative in South Sudan, says efforts to combat malaria in South Sudan are underfunded. When malaria does not kill, it costs money because and it also costs income for the families that are taking care of those who are sick. Malaria is also one of the causes of poverty. It costs Africa an estimated two billion US dollars a year and it slows economic growth by 1.3% per year. According to a World Health Organization report released last year, Denzako says 95% of all the estimated 228 million cases of malaria in the world occurred in Africa with an estimated 600,000 reported deaths. For VN News, I'm Waki Simon Udu in Juba. A doctor conducting free eye operation sponsored by the Dr. Phillips Pharmaceutical Company says 25 people have undergone successful surgeries for cataract at Juba Teaching Hospital. One patient who was operated today say she's grateful for the free eye care service and she's now able to see. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai reports from Juba. Dr. Abdallah Jombosko, a medical officer and a surgeon at Juba Teaching Hospital, says they operated 24 patients with cataracts here at the Juba Teaching Hospital. The total number of patients who turned up to screening, there were 83 for the whole day that have been seen, and those who are qualified for surgery were 24, and we have operated for them. Uh, we have just finished the surgery and we're out of the surgery. Dr. Bosco says the eye center will screen more patients tomorrow in the OPD or the outpatient department of Juba Teaching Hospital with the aim of carrying out a total of 100 surgeries. So today again in the OPD we have screened uh, 76 patients, that those who have got their medications, those who need medical treatment and those who need to be done surgery. So the pending list for tomorrow, there are 23. So there are still uh, other patients who are going some uh, virus examination to qualify them for the surgeries in 
case they have passed the, the examination. So it will, it will add on to that. Maybe later the list will be more than 23. 70 years old patient Margaret Wakasa says she has suffered from cataracts since 2019 and could not get help until this week. The eye is the cataract. When I went to Kenya, to Lyons, these people looked at me, that was 2019. They looked at me and said, we, 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 I was ready to do the operation. I was ready to do the operation. But they looked at me and said, you know, Mama Margaret, this eye of yours, especially this one, it is affecting the now. So you will be on medication. We cannot remove. Wakasa says when she came to Juba, her vision was completely blocked by cataracts. I told these people that they had said this one. They said no. The doctor who was looking at me said no. We can operate and you will see. And I'm seeing my daughter. So doctors, are, I'm not blaming any doctor, but that is how, why, why I'm saying this is what made me delay. I should have removed it earlier before the eyes closed. Wakasa, who is a lecturer at the University of Juba, says she received information about the eye come through the South Sudan in Focus show broadcast on November 7th. And when I was sitting in the house, I put on the voice of America. I normally listen to it in Radio Mirai voice of America. So when I listened to it, they announced very well that it was going to take place. Yesterday I was here, but it didn't, but I still came back. So that's how I landed on the day. I learned through the people here because they had operated here, this one, and then I also listened on the radio and they said. The free eye camp will continue through November 11th and is free for residents of Juba. For VOA News, I'm Juliana Shapai in Juba. Some civil society activists in Sudan's Blue Nile state are condemning a decision by the state governor to restrict gatherings in the area. The activists are calling on the government to revoke the order and allow people to express their opinion without fear. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Blue Nile Governor Ahmed Alom Dabadi on Monday issued the order under emergency law banning all public gatherings, events and unlicensed activities. The order prohibits blocking public roads, obstructing traffic, encroaching on public and private property, circulating content that calls for discrimination among citizens on an ethnic basis, and investigating murders and displacement of citizens through communications, including social media. The order, which allows security forces to investigate any illegal gatherings, also warns citizens against obstructing the government or security forces from implementing the order. Some civil society activists working in Blue Nile State called the order a direct attack on the right of freedom of assembly. Speaking to this program from Al-Damazin Town, Ali Haju, Secretary General of the Blue Nile Civil Society Network, says the order will likely give security personnel the right to commit more atrocities against civilians and young people. The decision is a clear attack on the freedom of opinion of activists and all the young people who are working day and night to reflect the exact situation on what is going on in Blue Nile. We try to let the world know about the atrocities that have been committed against different communities in the region through social media and international media outlets. Last month, more than 200 people were killed and scores of others injured in renewed communal clashes between the Hausa and Berti tribes. 
The United Nations says thousands of women and children have been displaced and are in dire need of humanitarian assistance in the area. Haju says the government should investigate atrocities committed in Blue Nile instead of restricting voices of people who want to speak up. There is a need for a serious investigation and all those who found guilty in fueling the conflict should be brought to justice and accountability. No one should go unpunished, including top officials. Security organs also did not take their responsibility seriously to protect the citizens, and that is why we want to see all of them undergo investigations. Aisha Abdulaziz, a woman activist in Wedalmahi locality, one of the areas hard hit by the last man's violence, also condemned the order. He's speaking to this program via a messaging application from Aldamazin town, Abdulaziz says the governor's order will negatively impact women in many ways. Since it is an emergency law that will enable the security forces to prevent and oppose any gathering, at the moment the humanitarian situation is devastated, which needs continued meetings and coordination for organizations so that they are able to help resolve the situation. Blue Nile State has witnessed an increase in intercommunal conflict over the past year since the military coup appended the civilian-led transitional government under former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok. The Juba Peace Agreement stipulates that Blue Nile be governed as a region. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, voters go to the polls to elect their preferred candidates in the U.S. midterm elections. Find out more after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... Tell me about your favorite person. My favorite person is my best friend. I've been best friends since when we were children and we've grown up. We are in tertiary level and we are still very close and good friends. My favorite person is my friend and she's a lady who really knows her worth. She knows her values. She stands for her values and all. She doesn't compromise. My mom is my favorite person. She inspires me. She gives me the courage to do anything that I want. Me, I'm a fan of basketball. I play basketball. And uh, the person I like and impresses me too much is uh, LeBron James. I follow him so much and uh, I like his game. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. The balance of power in the U.S. Congress is at stake Tuesday as voters head to the polls to decide whether Democrats will continue to hold the majority in the Senate and in the House, either delivering a booster for Joe Biden's presidency or shifting power to Republicans. VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson reports from one of the key places in elections 2022 the southern state of Georgia. From Pennsylvania to Ohio, Nevada to New Hampshire, 
Candidates making the final push in campaigns that will decide the direction of the United States for the next two years. And in the key state of Georgia, the day beginning with a prayer. This election season, Lord, I pray. And a warning from Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker. We got to get it right because if we don't get it right, we won't recognize this country tomorrow. Walker's supporters frustrated with President Joe Biden. Georgia voter Emmett Shedd. After all, what Democrats have done, I just can't sit back and allow the country to just fall behind. The border crisis is out of control, and uh, it doesn't appear that Joe Biden's going to do anything about it. In a recent Pew Research Center poll, more than three-quarters of U.S. voters surveyed said the economy was their top concern this election. The housing market, um, the price of gas, um, you know, you're noticing in the grocery stores, you know, food is... uh, um, very, very expensive, and there's items that you can't even find anymore. Because democracy itself is on the ballot. we got to show up tomorrow. Walker's opponent, Senator Raphael Warnock, won a runoff election in January 2021 that gave Democrats control of the U.S. Senate and the ability to enact Biden's agenda. The economy is the number one issue for me, and I think that the Democratic Party and Senator Warnock in particular really kind of focus on the everyday issues of everyday Americans. The Republicans like to talk about the stock market and everything. And after the U.S. Supreme Court decision in June ending the federal right to abortion, social issues have also motivated female and independent voters to vote for Democrats. That's very concerning to me. I think everybody um, should have access to health care, whether what your personal views are on Roe v. Wade or abortion. What size you need, Betty? Voters here in Georgia are key in deciding control of the U.S. Senate. This is just one of a handful of races nationwide that are still too close to call and will give either party a narrow majority. All 435 U.S. House seats are also up for re-election, with most polls showing Republicans will take control. Catherine Gibson, BOA News, Macon, Georgia. Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray regional leaders began meeting in the Kenyan capital Nairobi Monday for talks on an African Union brokered peace deal designed last week in South Africa. The parties are discussing how to implement the deal and get much needed food and medical aid to areas cut off by two years of war. For VOA News, Mohammed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. Ethiopian government representatives and the leadership of the Tigray People's Liberation Front are meeting to implement the peace agreement that has given Ethiopian civilians trapped in the conflict new hope. Former Nigerian President Olusegun Obasanjo and Uhuru Kenyatta, former Kenyan president, are chairing the talks. Tigray spokesperson Getachew Reda says implementing the peace agreement will create more opportunities for the country. There are a number of things that need to be done which are stipulated in our agreement. The provision of services is one thing. And the more services there are, the more confidence there is, the more communication there is, and the more open expectation uh, it instills in the, in the people's mind. And that will further consolidate the peace we are trying to uh, put in place. So, it, uh, like I said, we are 
The deal calls for an end to the two-year conflict and the delivery of humanitarian assistance to the people in the Tigray region. The Ethiopian government's lead negotiator, Redwan Hussein, said it is a priority to reconnect the Tigray community with the rest of the country. In the areas also where we had not access, we have to quickly reconnect services, both telecom synergy uh, and banking systems. But before that, uh, our people need food first and medicine, and for that we are trying to expedite that. The war has displaced millions and killed tens of thousands more. The conflict has made it difficult for aid agencies to reach millions in the Tigray region with food and medical supplies. The agreement also calls for the TPLF to lay down its arms in exchange for the integration and the return of the National Army to the region. Tigray representatives say they have made a painful concession to end the conflict. Obasanjo, the African Union's chief mediator, say the two sides have established a telephone hotline. The hotline will help them monitor the truce and communicate with their forces to stop fighting in case of flare-ups. Kenyatta, a co-mediator of the peace talks, says he expects the ongoing negotiations to end the civil war. At the conclusion of this process, we'll be colleagues who will be working together for the betterment of their country, for the betterment of Ethiopia, for the benefit of our region, and ultimately join us all in our struggle to make Africa a better place and to end and silence the guns permanently so that we can focus on the well-being of our people. The talks are expected to last three or four days. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. UNICEF warns millions of children caught in climate-induced disasters are at risk of starvation, disease, exploitation and death. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. A UNICEF analysis released Tuesday finds 27.7 million children in 27 countries have been affected by flooding so far this year. Among them, Chad, the Gambia and northeast Bangladesh have recorded the worst floods in a generation. The agency reports Pakistan's record-breaking floods have killed nearly 1,700 people, 615 of them children. UNICEF's Global Communication and Advocacy Director Paloma Escudero says she saw for herself the enormity of the disaster during a visit to Pakistan last week. She says the needs are vast, adding 10 million girls and boys need immediate life-saving support. The floods have contaminated drinking water, which is spawning deadly waterborne diseases such as acute watery diarrhea, which compounds already acute malnutrition. Estimates suggest close to 1.6 million children in Pakistan could be suffering from severe acute malnutrition. She notes stagnant water is a perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes, increasing the risk of malaria and dengue. She warns many vulnerable children and young people will die in the days and weeks to come without urgent action. Escudero spoke on a video link from Sharm El Sheikh, site of COP27, the climate change conference. She says scientists have found the recent floods in Pakistan have been made worse by climate change. Change, while
while children are the least responsible for creating this problem, she says they are suffering the most. In Africa, just like in Pakistan, children are paying the price for a climate disaster not of their making. From the extreme drought and risk of famine in Somalia to the erratic rains across the Sahel, UNICEF is being challenged to respond at an unprecedented scale to emergencies that have all the markings of climate-induced disasters. UNICEF reports children account for almost half of the more than 20 million people facing famine in drought-stricken Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia. Nearly 40 youth climate activists from around the world are in Sharm el-Sheikh. They are working with UNICEF to sensitize delegates to the severe impact of the climate crisis on the world's poorest, most vulnerable children. Escudera notes it is not up to young people to keep raising the alarm. What is needed, she says, is for people with power to start acting. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Lenore Moudou. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. That's all we prepared for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with John Kuduse and the song Sika Uganda. We have been listening to John Kuduse and his song, Sika Uganda. I'm your host, John Tanz in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.